Welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and our topic will be humic acid and fulvic acid. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show today at 844 442 That's 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Well, it's exciting, Brian. The soybeans getting combined right now, uh, just uh, across from our Ag PhD field day site. And beans are running a little better than I was guessing they were going to be. So I'm happy about well, that. How are they? Uh, in the 60s. So Is this our ground or somebody else's? This is ours. Oh, okay. So, oh, you are you saying on the backside no, of the our, field our, day? No, our plot's Where? right across the, right across the road oh, from the field oh, day. Oh, oh. Yeah, that would be pretty good for that. It is, especially they get late planted, and we didn't have much rain. And yeah, just how a lot late of were they planted? It was I a month was... after month after normal. Oh wow, yeah. But see, this year that was probably an advantage because we did actually have some late rain. We had like four inches Maybe. in August. So we've been talking about drought, 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 and then you hear us go, "Well, we got four inches in August." And you're going, oh, that doesn't sound like drought to me. Well, yeah, but when you get one inch a month prior to that, when you're used to three or four, um, it, it, it was a real challenge. So, And this is exactly what I have been saying for weeks now when they're hammering the corn price. I don't get it. Late rain doesn't help corn much. Late rain helps soybeans tremendously. So I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not shocked. At, at 60s that's i go back to 2012 when we were hotter and drier than this year and we averaged it was 56 bushel soybeans averaged on our farm and that's even including the sandy kind of what i would call junkier ground so and hopefully today we're a little bit better farmers than we were back in 2012 hopefully the genetics are a little bit better than back then so yeah that's honestly i get i gotta tell you that's that's I think that's right on for what I would have thought. Because normally, I mean, for our good fields, we are expecting well, 70s at least. Here's the other thing, Brent, is it's not like it's our normal maturity. We had group double zeros in there and group zeros. This is, well, this I is also, only through the double zeros, yeah, but, zeros, and early ones okay, so far. But you're telling me this based off what data? Yield monitor? Yield monitor. Yeah, okay. And then there you go. So this is one of the most important things that I want to stress to you if you're listening today. Calibrate your yield monitors. So I rarely trust the yield monitor when we first get going in soybeans, corn, anything else. Uh, what, what we always do is we weigh everything across the scale and then see, all right, how much do we actually have here divided by the acres? Then we'll see what true yield is. So anyway, we'll see how it all turns out. But I am, I'm, I mean, that makes me happy that it sounds like things are looking good. Good stuff to a good start. Yes. Yep. All right. So we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Uh, before we do, I just want to encourage you, please take the time to be safe during harvest there's nothing more important than your safety and your family's safety and whoever's working for you, their safety, on the farm throughout harvest. This is one of the things our dad stressed to us all the time. I mean, like literally all the time. Safe, safe, safe. Be conservative. Be careful. Never take off the the safety guards. And I mean, just I mean, there are a lot of shortcuts that we can take as farmers. Don't take those shortcuts because it only takes one and something bad really bad could happen. The other thing he would always talk to us about is 
not to go 24-7. Because there were times where we wanted to push it. And it's like, nope, it's not going to be worth it, guys. You're going to pay for that for the next three days if you try going 24-7. Plus, he said the fact is, when you get tired, you are way more likely to make mistakes, to wreck stuff, and get hurt. So just get a good night's sleep or pretty good night's sleep every night and then start fresh again the next day. So anyway, that was his advice to us. I'm just throwing it out there. You manage your farm however you want to. But I, I just... It really, really cannot stress enough, be safe through harvest. All right, let's hit the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, get this one in uh, from Ryan. And Ryan said, we planted a low ear height hybrid in a food plot, so a corn hybrid here. So, but the ears are sitting up quite a bit higher than what the seed dealer said they would. What are some of the environmental or agronomic factors that would affect how high off the ground the ear would form? Does the quantity of nitrogen impact this? Yes, quantity and timing on the nitrogen. So the earlier you have excess nitrogen in that plant, the taller that plant is typically going to grow. Uh, The other thing is if you plant late and it's warm, you're going to have a taller plant, period. So we often talk about gibberellic acid on the show that it's basically a growth hormone to stimulate more of that upward growth. So you get a taller plant, more length between the the nodes. You can accomplish the same thing by planting later. Now, granted, usually you have less yield by planting later. So that's why we typically don't want to do that. But in a food plot situation, I'm assuming you planted later. So our advice for next year is plant early and then your plant will absolutely be shorter. I will guarantee you. All right, got this one from KK who said, you guys gave an example to lower soil pH that you could potentially use gypsum because the sulfate would bind to the sodium or magnesium to form a salt, which could be leached out. But I'm thinking about this. Is not gypsum uh, a product that has a lot of calcium, a soil amendment? And when you think about calcium and soil amendment, that means you could actually raise soil yep. pH. Yep. Okay, so... Sodium raises soil pH 4 to 1 compared to calcium, though, and that's where the, the argument kind of falls down. So gypsum isn't going, it's pH neutral. It isn't going to dramatically raise the pH. Now, could it raise the pH? Yes. But if you have excess sodium and lots of it and you're trying to flush that out, um, I'm not too worried about the calcium today. I'm much more concerned about let's get that sodium out of the soil, and it's not going to be a fast process unfortunately i wish it i wish it could be but it's not so you just have to get started on it and go from there now the big key when we're talking about sodium removal you have to have good drainage you want tile in that ground without it you're going to struggle i don't know that you'll be ever ever be able to get rid of all that sodium without your good drainage you have to get it we're going to turn that sodium into a salt with the sulfate flush it out then we're in good shape stay tuned we'll be right back Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. 
You've done it. Your yields are on the rise. But when it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at fuel.clos.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Kloss is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to fuel.clos.com. Then check out the advanced equipment at your local Kloss dealer. That's fuel.clas.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today and taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Talking a little about humic acid and fulvic acid on today's show as we get a lot of questions about those. And we've got one of our good friends on the, the phone here, Matt Swanson, over in western Illinois, works with the Extreme Ag Group and farms there too. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well, Darren. How are you? Doing pretty well. All right. So uh, first of all, got to start with this. How's harvest going? You guys getting out there a little bit? Uh, just kind of really getting going in in the area. There's a few guys that have been going for a week or so, but um, for the most part, everybody's just kind of getting kicked off the last couple of days. So yeah, getting exciting. We're we're just barely getting started here too. So it'll be fun to see how things turn out. We're always curious, especially on a year like this. Uh, what do you what do you see with humic acid and fulvic acid? I know you get a lot of questions through the extreme ag group and and just folks who know you, uh, curious about what you're doing. You're always looking at some of these things. What well, what do you see with these types of products? Yeah, so we've been a big user of both uh, humics and fulvics. Uh, we're probably working on ten years now. Um, we had originally kind of split the two into two groups or used both products. Um, and now we've kind of settled on using fulvic for most everything because there isn't, there used to be a cost difference and there really isn't anymore. So, um, at least the sources that we get, you know, you talk about that in humix, you find fulvic. So that's, that's something that, well, you could get fulvic for, you know, as part of the equation in the humic, why, why do you like that fulvic component alone the best? So the the full, we use the fulvic alone because the the fulvic because it's a smaller molecule tends to work a lot better and foliar um, in cases where we don't maybe see a result with a humic in a foliar type application we generally do with the fulvic and then so that's kind of what the difference had been in our two by two type applications you know our ground applied situations we were using the humics because they were cheaper um, 
and it just got to the point for us where our fulvics got cheaper and our humix went up. So we just use the fulvic acid now for everything. Yeah, it's interesting. We're we've been talking about this a lot with crop inputs this year. There's there's been a lot of change and it's important just to price things out every year and not to stay the same of, oh, here's what I always do. I'll just keep keep on that path because, like you say, the economics change, and all of a sudden, well, hey, I can have a better product for the same price. Why not do it? Yeah. Plus, handling one thing is a lot easier than handling a whole bunch of different things on the farm. It just less opportunity for somebody to get mixed up or and you know just to lose track of how much of each you have, too. Well, and that's so, you know, in the fulvic case, we're using enough now that we can bring in a tanker or multiple tankers per year uh, of it. And that, of course, drops our costs further. And then, of course, like you said, you just have the one that you're handling that kind of goes across the board. So Now, you mentioned two-by-two applications and also foliar. Is it always with a fertility application, or are you seeing some benefit? Uh, For example, we we like to use fulvics in when we're spraying a fungicide, and and we really like what that's done for us. Do you have other uses besides nutrient applications that you like? Yeah, so anytime we're going across the field, generally we'll use the fulvic acid that we use now. Um, and I, I would say any time, but almost every time, I guess, uh, if we're making an application anyway. And, you know, foliar, you, you're not working on the soil, right? But you're still going to help in plant formation, you know, formation of, you know, sugar and protein and, and help with cell division and elongation and all of those things with the fulvic acid. And there has been some work um, with fulvic specifically uh, on working with, uh, the opening of the stomates and respiration and transpiration that would show that it's beneficial to that. So I hate to use terms like, you know, we use it in every pass or kind of those things, but this is one of the rare cases where that's actually true. Yeah. The always and never kind of statements on the farm. I, I don't like using those yeah. either because you just don't know what next year is going to bring or what the weather's going to do and those kinds of things. But uh, yeah, like like you say, there are a lot of different things that the fulvic acids can do to to help out. They aren't miracle products. I don't think anybody here is claiming they're they're a miracle and they're going to take you from a hundred bushel to three hundred or something overnight. But uh, but they could be part of the equation with a lot of different things you're doing on the farm. Hey, Matt, thank you so That's- much. Re- really appreciate you throwing that out there. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I let you finish. You were just going to say something else too. No, I mean, I, I would just say that you know we use them in for for quite a while they've been the basis of our infro fertility program for both for all crops and then you know we've seen as as much as 18 bushels in trials that i either did myself or i'm very familiar with in adding it to like a two by two application you know with proper other nutrition this is a kind of one of those one plus one equals three or four things where you know on its own it's not a huge difference but when you get proper fertility with it it can make a huge difference yeah yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on, and good luck. Stay safe this harvest season. Sounds good, Darren. You too. Let's head down to Missouri. we got Kip Cullers on with us right now to talk a little about this. How you doing, Kip? Oh, pretty good. How's the weather up there in South Dakota? Well, today, warm and dry, and we got uh, Glenn out in the field doing a little combining right now as we speak. Yeah, well, that's good. We had a rain last night. We had about an inch and six-tenths, and First rain we've had since 1st of August, so we was really needing that pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So where where are you at on harvest, or what's your next infield operation you got to do? We're just about wrapped up with corn. We're like about three days, and we'll be done harvesting corn. 
and then uh, the next thing we got to start selling wheat here the first October. So, you know, still gonna be busy for a while, and then our double crop beans will be ready to cut about the time we get done with the uh, sowing all the wheat. Let me ask you a real quick question on soybeans, because um, because obviously uh, at one point here you had the world record on soybeans when when you were choosing to compete. I'd love to see what you're doing right now. I'm sure sure the yields are nothing to to. Uh, uh, be disappointed in. I'm sure they're fantastic. But when you look at those beans and, and getting ready, do you use a desiccant at the end of the year or do they die off naturally? So we've done that several ways and we've tried about everything under the sun. And and, uh, and if you're doing, say, contests or competition soybeans, you're going to have, you're probably going to have to desiccate them. Um, you know, we've tried a little bit of everything. Um, you know, salt, uh, it's just, it, it's just tough because everything takes about a week to 10 days to actually ever go to work. Um, so yeah. And you still don't, if you're growing a great big stem the size of your thumb, you never, you just can't kill it. You just don't have enough green material out there to, uh, you know, live tissue, uh, cause you don't want to desiccate them before, you know, the membranes start separating from the seed. So, you know, the soybean starts senescing off. And it's just hard to get to get the plant to take up the chemical. Yeah, yeah. There's always a lot of tricks to um, to making everything work well. How about our topic today is humic and fulvic acid. What have you found with those, Kip? I know you do a lot of research looking at, at a lot of different inputs, and, of course, you have multiple crops you can try things out on. it. Are humics and fulvics things that you use on a regular basis? Oh, absolutely. Now, what I, the beauty part about fulvic is it's kind of a natural hormone and uh it's cheap and uh like matt was saying you know he was saying 18 bushels i could i'd say that'd be pretty respectable that you could do that i mean the nice thing about the reason we like the humics and the phobics is we're always trying to raise your cecs because we got low cecs and if you use the 10 to 1 rule where one point of of a cec holds 10 pounds nitrogen it also gives you more water holding capacity and and uh uh man it just it's just a good deal especially if you got cecs down 10 12 15 if you can raise that up three or four points you can put another 30 or 40 units of nitrogen out there yeah yeah that that is a big deal and you know you look at some of the crops uh, like corn and wheat that that you need the end that's that's going to be huge how about how about in soybeans you know you look at cecs a lot of the highest yields are coming out of low cec soils is this kind of one of those tricks to have them hold more nutrients too yeah you want to hold more nutrients and, and the reason high yield soybeans come out of, of low cecs and even the high yield corn where you take david up here he's really sandy you can sit there and just feed that crop whatever you want and it flushes out and you can water and and our corn yields this year for as dry as we've been i mean we went we've raised this crop of corn on about 10 inches of rain and i mean which is phenomenal and, and no, no rain, rain and no rain to finish it off in august either hey kip hold on one second we gotta take a quick break we'll be right back The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. 
Together, we can uproot the stigma. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. When it comes to combines, capacity and costs keep going up. So if you aren't the largest farm in the county, how do you achieve the high harvesting efficiency of the big operations while still keeping costs in check? Start by checking out the Kloss Trion 740. The latest Kloss combine delivers high reliability, low maintenance, gentle threshing, and surprising efficiency. The Kloss Trion 740. Learn more at Kloss.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start your engines! Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking a little about humic and fulvic acid on our show, and taking your calls and questions at eight four four forty four Ag PhD. We've been talking with Kip Colors here down in Missouri. Uh, Kip, thanks for hanging on there. Yeah, no problem. It's a, it's just a nice seventy two degree day here, and weather couldn't be any better. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Hey, you mentioned you're going to be planting wheat starting October 1st. What what do you do with that wheat in the fall in Missouri? I, I know here a lot of guys are starting to use pre-emerge herbicides. We just had a lot more weed problems, even more pigweed starting up in the wheat. Uh, what do you see down there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so we fight Italian ryegrass really, really bad and if you have to, if you ever, I mean, they need to actually put that on the noxious weed list. Um, because if you get that in weed, I mean, it can take 100 bushel wheat down to 20 bushels fast to make your head spin. And then it won't ever dry out. I mean, it's just a disaster. So uh, uh, we use, uh, I can't even think of the name of it right now. It's AIM and, and then the BSF uh, yep, Anthem, uh, product. Anthem Flex. 
Anthem Flex. Yep. And uh, so we we use that, and we get along really, really well. But I mean, that is an absolute must that you, we have to use a pre-emerge. And then we stay pretty clean. We don't have to come back in the spring usually because we try to keep our fields clean. Uh, we don't let a big seed bank build up or anything. So we get by with that pretty, pretty, pretty easy. And and uh, so and they got a pretty good deal on that Anthem Flex um, with the the price. They got a spray back guarantee and. And uh, it's not super duper expensive. No, no, they've been aggressive with that one, no doubt about it. So, okay, so Matt was talking about utilizing a humic or a fulvic uh, with the planter or with the cedar, and you were talking about trying to expand your holding capacity for things like nitrogen. Talk to us about that strategy in wheat. Then is humic or a fulvic? Is that something that gets put on at the fall in the fall at the same time? Yeah, so we would we would come in there, and you know this don't really leach out. I don't believe that leaches out of the soil too bad. Uh, the humic wouldn't for sure. Uh, so, what? And if you're going to do that, you're probably going to have to go, you know, use a dry product of some sort, and um, you're going to probably going to put on a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds acre. And we've literally raised our CECs, you know, two to four points by doing that. And uh, and it pretty well holds there, and you know you're going to figure at minimum one pound of nitrogen per bushel of wheat. So now uh, we got to be careful here in the fall. We won't hardly ever put on more than twenty or thirty units of nitrogen in the fall, or our wheat gets too big. Uh, you know it'll still be growing in January, and and um, might not go dormant quick enough, and and we'll get it way 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 too big. And then we don't want to break dormancy too quick in the spring or, you know, if you get a late freeze or something that'll mess us up. So uh, we, and then we start applying nitrogen in the spring on it in February. A lot, and we've kind of switched that up. We was doing a two-shot liquid program and we was having a little trouble getting over all the acres. So we, we kind of went, to our first application, we we're doing a dry broadcast and then we we're coming back uh, with another 60 or 70 units with uh, streamer bars. Okay. How about litter? I, I know we hear about humic acid and, and its properties in terms of not, not exactly like a nitrogen stabilizer, but, but some of the same types of impacts. Do you see that? I know you end up using some litter where you're at too. And is humic part of the equation to, to hold that nitrogen in place? Yeah, and it, it does. It works on that. The problem, we don't use litter on our wheat because the problem with litter is you cannot get that broadcast out there evenly and right directly behind a truck you'll have like a four foot strip that you're getting it on a little too heavy and then you got these strips of wheat going down on you which is a problem sure, sure. Yep. so we just hold the litter off the wheat and we use that on the corn and the soybeans and then uh, uh but it'd be it'd be great if we could use litter on the wheat but it, it just becomes a a a problem yeah, no, I can see that if if the spread pattern is not just perfect out there, it's absolutely going to show up in the wheat. And we're talking with Kip Cullors here. He farms down in Missouri. Kip, thank you so much. We really appreciate the time. Uh, good to talk to you again. It's been a little while. Yeah. Hey, anytime. You guys be careful. You bet. You too. We've got Doug Phelps with us right now with SIPCAM Agro. All right, Doug, uh, talking a little about humic and fulvic today, and we've had a couple of really good farmers on here that, that say it's a big part of their operation kip said even in the light soils he likes it because 
If he uses enough, he can at least temporarily raise his CEC and hold some more nutrients out there in the light soils. I, I can see that being quite valuable. Yeah. Good afternoon, Darren. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, one, one thing that, that I want to clarify for people is that the you know where the humic is placed or where that dry granular uh, pellet, as, as he was talking about, lands in that you know specific zone is where some CEC would would be improved. Um, just adding these products, you know, broadcast across an acre is not going to do anything to you know raise the CEC across that soil profile. So just to, to ensure growers aren't you know putting this out and then pulling soil tests and expecting to see an increase in that soil CEC. Oh, gotcha. Yep, absolutely. Okay, one one question so, or one so, comment that Matt uh, had too, and maybe maybe you could talk about this also. He said he used to use humic and fulvic, but he said fulvic really fit the bill for him. And now where some of these fulvic products are priced at, there really isn't a big cost advantage to use humics like there used to be. Yeah, so, so just for everybody's clarity, when we use the term humic acids, and if it's a 6%, a 12%, there are some claims of actual 20% humic acids. Inside that black solution that you're purchasing is humic and fulvic acid. And you just can't see the fulvic because of the darkness of the humic. But what we have found in some situations, especially with low pH fertilizers or red ball applicators, having that black component of the humic in a higher organic matter uh, soil, 2% or higher, you're really not getting the added value that, that you need from that. So that's where a lot of growers have switched over to using a fulvic, which is the most plant active, the most biologically active component of those humic substances to minimize application compatibility and, and get that plant stimula stimulation that they're looking for. The humic acid that is in humic acids is the long chain humic and that's where the soil, uh, physical soil structure improvement, it's the organic acid uh, of glue for, for soil structure. That's what the humic is providing in that, you know, in those two different products. All right, Doug, one question that we've had about uh, humic and fulvic has been fall applications. Do you see a benefit putting things out in the fall? Should you wait till spring? Uh, under what conditions would you say fall would be the time to go? Um, well, let's let's back up. The whole premise with these biostimulants and using humic, humic substances is spoon feeding the active ingredient of organic matter throughout the growing season as opposed to adding high volumes of organic materials, hoping to break down and hoping that they become humic substances over time. So in that spoon-fed approach, anytime you go across the field with fertilizer, you want to organically activate or organically complex that fertilizer application on that soil to derive the, mo the, the most efficiency and the benefits from it. If you're going across the field with a foliar application, that's where the fulvic can be added to help with nutrient uptake and absorption, penetration. And then in, when we get towards the fall, there's a lot of, lot of fall fertility that goes out. Don't leave it naked. It's just sitting out there. It's, it's prone to volatility or leaching. Put an organic acid or humic acid with it, whether it be in a dry mix or if you're, you know, uh, shanking in nitrogen, 
always put a an organic acid with it to protect that fertilizer investment. Talking with Doug Phelps here with SIPCAM Agro. Doug's really one of the experts in the industry about humic and fulvic substances. Doug, you've been a great help as always. Really appreciate having you on and look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah. All right, Darren. Thank you. Our phone lines are also open. If you've got any agronomic questions or would like to talk a little more about this subject, we sure can. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Looking for a herbicide as versatile and reliable as your favorite pocket knife? Anthem Flex Herbicide offers the versatility you need to keep your crops clean. Protect your wheat this season with unmatched flexibility and extended residual control of broadleaf weeds and tough grasses, including Italian ryegrass. Minimize resistance and help maximize yields with Anthem Flex Herbicide. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just talking a little about humic and fulvic acid. 
Last things I've got on this topic are we have used humic acid in the soil. We like it better in the soil. We like fulvic better uh, as, uh, let's say it's in with your starter fertilizer or it's in with a foliar fertilizer, something like that. So we've used that fulvic in a little different way than we've used the humic. Uh, Humic, we just have found better results when the soil has issues. So for example, if I've got the pH balance, I got all the nutrients great, I have good organic matter levels, drainage is excellent, everything is perfect in my soil, we just haven't gotten as much result out of the humic acid. But when we have problems, high pH, low pH, uh, sandy, something wrong in the soil, then humic has seemed to give us some response. With the fulvic, like I say, uh, we'll throw that in in furrow maybe, and foliar with nutrition, that's been good. It seems to get that foliar fertilizer into the plant just a little bit better. Darren, anything else you wanted to add on uh, humic and fulvic? No, but just uh, to follow up on Doug Phelps' comment that when you're utilizing these products, you're basically taking what the, uh, this is his term, the active ingredient of what's in your organic matter and just spoon feeding it throughout the season as you're applying it, like uh, Matt Swanson was talking about, just put a little bit out each time that he's doing something in the field. And and that was kind of interesting because I know sometimes when we talk about this topic, we'll get a response from one or two people that'll say, well, isn't our soil naturally producing some of that? Don't we naturally have some humics and fulvics out there? Absolutely, we do. But if you can take high-quality uh, humic or fulvic and put it out there a little bit at a time throughout the season in the right place, whether that's foliar, in furrow, something like that, you can make a difference. And it's something you know, we're not trying to sell these products here. We're not trying to convince you, oh, man, you need to go buy a whole bunch of them. But it's something that maybe you want to try. We've done some research on this in our farm. We have seen some nice gains. So we've gotten to the point where I wouldn't say that we're putting them out there every single time we're making an application. But I would say that they're making it in more applications each year on our farm. So something to take a look at on your farm. We just we just want you to make money. We just want you to do the right thing for your crop. All right, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. What's next, Darren? All right, Brian, I got a stack of soil tests here. This came in from Jordan. He said, all right, guys, uh, we've got some end rows of fields, and I know that we've got some compaction things out there. I was thinking about gypsum, subsoiling with the zone builder, uh, we've got some tile out there, but we also raise sugar beets. So our ground gets kind of beat up and packed. So we know we could put a little bit more in too, but what do you see on there that we could fix? Where should we be starting? Darren, go ahead because you had looked at this. All right. Well, okay. This morning, we've got, even. we've got uh, half a dozen soil tests here. pH is run between 7.7 and 8.3. Soluble salts run between four and five. And sodium base saturation percentages run from, I think, 7 to 15. Right. So, so they're really high. We want to see sodium base saturation 1% or less. So yep. to me... And the salt, 1 or less. Yeah, I see that sodium pushing, as Brian had mentioned earlier in the show, So sodium pushes up pH 4 to 1 compared to what calcium does. So an excess of sodium is necessarily going to bring that pH up. So if we could get rid of that sodium, pH would come down... Um, and, you know, soluble salts are a little different than just straight up sodium, but 
if we could improve drainage, we could potentially flush out the sodium and we could flush out the soluble salts. That would be a good thing, but it's not an overnight fix. It didn't get there overnight. And one of the things that uh, I know Brandon and I were talking about this earlier, and Brandon just made the comment, well, it's not your fault, Jordan. Uh, that That's something you were gifted <laughs> that has been in that ground for Whoever farmed that ground over the last 50 to 80 years, this has been building up potentially yeah. for that long. So you're not going to fix it in a day. But I'll just, I'll put it this way. If this was my ground and I said, I want to invest the money and actually fix it, because let's keep in mind, we don't have to be married to our ground. We can, we can sell it and we can go buy other ground that's going to be easier to fix. All right. But I'm just saying, if you really want to fix this ground, here's how you do it. Number one, you put in a crazy, what most people are going to call a crazy amount of tile. Your cation exchange capacity, and granted, it's going to be overstated. And I, I, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why it's overstated, but there's a lot of, there. I well, anyway, you've, you've got some really high numbers on certain things, which means your cation exchange capacity readings are going to be a little bit high, and your CEC numbers are as low as 22 and as high as 42. Realistically, it's probably a you've got 20 to 25 CEC, maybe 30. But the point is, it's heavy ground. You need tile in these areas where everything has has gone bad. You need tile probably every 20 feet. And I I know you're gonna say, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yup, we have to do something crazy because this. Um, when I look at this, I go, oh, my soil's dead. And I'm not joking here. I would look at it and think my soil is dead. I can't have 10, 15, 17 uh, percent sodium. That's dead soil. And you're probably going to lower that 0.2 percent. Maybe if you were super lucky and had lots of rain and did everything right, maybe 0.5 percent per year. So let's think about this for a second. I got here, I'm looking at one, 16 percent. So if I did everything perfect, how long is that going to take me to get that ground so it's great where I go, wow, I love that ground? Probably 30 years. I'm just, this again is why I go back to this didn't happen overnight. We can't fix it overnight. And you have to ask yourself, are you dedicated to make this ground better or do you just sell it? And you go, you know what, I'm going to let somebody else deal with this. I'm going to go buy some ground that's better where the sodium is only 5%, at least I can fix that in the next 10 years or so, hopefully. But I want tile every 20 feet. Okay, that's the first thing. Next thing we're going to do is we're going to get potassium out there. You're at 2% or less base saturation K. I'm getting her to 4 right away. Then we're going to start taking a look at sulfur. Okay, you need a real sulfur test. We can't have these tests where they say, well, it's over 120 pounds. Okay, well, how much is it? So you're going to have to ask your lab, and believe me, they do have the numbers. So ask your lab, what what do I actually have here for sulfur? It's not 120 pounds. It's probably more like 1,200 pounds, and it might even be 12,000 pounds. So tile by itself is most likely going to fix almost all these issues because there's probably enough sulfur in there to flush out a lot of the excess sodium that you have in your soil. You also have excess magnesium in some of your ground. 
I mean, sulfur is the key to flushing out excess magnesium and excess sodium. And if I remember right, and Darren, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we've had Neil Kinsey on the show several times to talk about these sodic soils, salty soils, that kind of stuff. And with a sodic soil, he'll just say, look, one pound of sulfur can remove one pound of sodium, but it takes two pounds of sulfur to remove one pound of magnesium. And the sulfur is going to take out what's most in excess, usually first, but it's going to be flushing out some of your magnesium, some of your sodium. And over time, over a long period of time, you are going to get this stuff flushed out. So and maybe I'm wrong and maybe it won't take 30 years. Maybe it'll take eight or 10, but it's certainly not going to happen in a day or two. So those are the biggest things that I'm focused on. And then beyond that, I, I just want to make sure that we're doing a good job with uh, phosphorus and the micronutrients and things like that. So you've got some fairly good levels of phosphorus. Olson test of 100, great. I, I feel super happy about that. Now let's get the zinc up a little bit where you're at 1. That's not going to cut it. You need that zinc probably 5, 8, 10, something like that. And zinc sulfate's dirt cheap. You can also supplement with liquid at planting time. But if you want to totally fix the soil, you've got to put a bunch out there. And then you got copper levels, 0 0.4. Uh, you want the copper at least two parts per million, if not more. So tile's your number one expense. Get that done. That's going to solve a lot of your problems. Find out how much sulfur you actually have in the ground. And, and then I think you're going to start seeing this correct itself because there's so much sulfur likely sitting there. Address potassium and the micros, and then we wait. And also, when you have ground like this, barley will be much easier to grow than corn or soybeans. All right, thanks for the questions, Jordan. We really appreciate that. We'll be right back taking more of your calls and questions after this. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bed with the end zone for corn from FarmShop MFG. Learn more at FarmShopMFG.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. 
and with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today we've been talking about humic and fulvic acid, but right now we're going to talk a little about soil tests. So I was doing a meeting a couple weeks ago with a group of farmers, and afterwards uh, George from Minnesota came up and he said, hey, would you look at these soil tests? And I said, sure, absolutely. And he goes, well, if you talk about them on the radio sometime, let me know because I'd like to listen. Well, we, we called George and we said, well, how would you like to be on with us today? And then we can maybe even ask you some questions about this. So George from Minnesota is joining us now. Hey, George, how are you today? Very good. It's good to hear from you. <laughs> you bet. All right. Let me let me ask you this first, because I want to make sure we've only got about 10 minutes here. Uh, I want to make sure we cover whatever you would like us to cover. Is there any specific question that you wanted us to answer? Or do you want me to just kind of run through and give you my general thoughts on, on your soil tests? Well, I gave you samples from four different fields there. Yep. They were taken in late June, two-and-a-half-acre grids. So, obviously, we've had some crop removal on that yep. since the time they were taken. Yep. We've, we've got four fields. We can't talk about all of them. I was thinking maybe if you wanted to look at the one I've got labeled north, we could just limit ourselves to maybe one field. At least that would simplify it a bit. Sure. All right, uh, that Darren. I think that's the one that I handed you. Of course, I, I I didn't know which one you'd want to talk about or what it was. But but here's here's kind of what I see, George. Now, first of all, if you're going to sample in late June, you're dead on right that you're going to have some crop removal during uh, between then and now. But then the other thing is you're also going to have some organic matter mineralization. The one thing that your soil test did not have that ours always have is nitrogen. So I didn't I didn't see how much nitrogen was in your soil or anything else, but certainly at the end of the season, we like taking nitrogen tests. And in season, like right when you pulled tests there, we do like seeing how much nitrogen is there because maybe I need to add more, maybe I'm good. So that kind of helps us on our side dressing decisions. But probably the biggest... Okay. Oh, go ahead. This, these fields were all in soybeans this year. Oh, gotcha. So... 
there'll be corn next year. So yep. we, we did do some in-sampling, in-field sampling for nitrogen in the cornfields, but we didn't Good. in these. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay, so soil pH. There's a lot of variance, and this is what we see in just about everybody's fields, that there is quite a bit of variance. So in your north field, for example, um, if I look just at the average, the average does not look bad. So I look at average pH, and I say, okay, it's 6.0. But the thing is, I've got areas where I do not want to get any lime on. I got spots of 7.5, 7.9, and so on. Uh, but I also have a bunch of spots where we need some lime. We're down into the low fives. But let me ask you this. Was it, when you were pulling these samples, was it very dry? Was it moderately dry? Or did you have plenty of moisture in the soil? I would say moderately dry to gotcha. decent moisture because we had one big rain in June. Since then, we haven't really had much for rain. Yeah. We've, we've gotten really short. Okay. And the reason why I'm asking is because soil pH can read a little bit lower with, by a couple of things. One, if the soil is very dry, then the pH, let's say like we do have a 5.3 here. In reality, it might be a 5.5 or a 5.7 or something like that. It might read a hair low if it's very dry. The other thing is during the season, and it all depends on where exactly you pull the samples from, roots will put out organic acids. And so they can lower the pH a little bit, not lots, but just a little bit as we go. So I'm just trying to say here, if it's me and I, I know those couple of factors, I'm probably not going to lime unless my pH is below six for sure. So Anyway, if that's what I would take a look at. So number one, I'm, I'm going to hit some spots in that field with some lime. Number two that I see in your soil tests, and you even had it here on your sheet, and I appreciate some of the notes you made and everything else on these tests. You just say more K, and that's absolutely where I'm going, uh, is your base saturation potassium numbers are all less than three, I believe, and you've got some areas where they're less than two. So I mean, I'm I'm going to be building those up. It all depends on how you want to do it. I usually do it one of two ways. Either I go, all right, I'm going to completely fix this. I'm going all the way to 4% base saturation potassium. So I might be putting on 500 or 800 pounds. Or I just say, all right, I know I'm really low. I'm going to put out what the crop needs. And then I'm going to work on a little bit of a build program. So however you want to do it, I'm just simply saying, uh, an investment in potassium in your fields looks like a good way to spend your money. So that's number two. So you got some spots that need pH adjustment. Most all the field needs potassium. And then the next thing that we always kind of focus on is phosphorus. And, I mean, your phosphorus levels certainly are not bad. A lot of people would look at this and go, oh, that's, that's, that's pretty decent. But it's during the season. And so I don't really know for sure how much would be left at the end of the season. And when I, I look at all these, I say there's nothing here that's excessive or even close. So I'm probably going to be adding at least as much as what the crop needs for this next year and maybe just a little bit more. So, I, I mean, that's kind of how I would look at it. And I'll, I'll just give you the averages here, too. Your P1 phosphorus, um, so that's what's available today. So in other words, that day, you had 45 parts per million. So not too bad. And the P2 test was 60. And what that is, that's how much is available today, plus how much should come available over the next few months. So anyway, both numbers, not bad. 
just I'm not very confident that going into next year we aren't going to need some more. So part of the reason why we like having these smaller grid tests like you did is because there are a couple of spots where if you wanted to do variable rate, you certainly could, and you could cut back in a couple of spots. For example, the very last spot on your test, number 46, you have 97 on a P1 and 128 on a P2. Odds are very high you're going to have enough phosphorus carried over into next year that at least in that spot, you're probably okay. So, but I mean, most of the rest of the field, I'm definitely going to be adding phosphorus. So those are probably my biggest things. And then I I do appreciate your notes on looking at like the phosphorus to zinc ratio, phosphorus to copper ratio. There's nothing that's super bad or anything like that. But I mean, there, there are some spots where you certainly could use maybe just a little bit more copper, maybe a little bit more zinc. And so those would probably be other things I'm looking at. And then probably one of the things that was in the yellow on uh, on your test here that you, you may have had questions about was your sulfur. And yes, your sulfur levels are, are quite low here. We're talking in the teens, and a lot of times with a Malik 3 test, we want those at least 30, 40, 50, something like that. Hmm. So you don't have to go completely nuts on it, but just understand adding some sulfur, some amount, whatever you get out there, you know, even if it's only 10 or 20 or 30 pounds, it's probably going to give you a decent return on investment. That's one of the things they've been running trials like the university has over in Minnesota with sulfur. And they've been finding that guys who have who are starting to get higher yields and they're getting these low soil test results, uh, they are starting to see some better returns on investment with that sulfur. So I'm not saying you need a million pounds or anything like that, or you even have to get your parts per million up to like my goal is usually 50. You don't have to get up that high that quick or anything else. Yep, 50 is usually what I'm shooting for, but. Um, you know, even if you add another 10 or 20 pounds, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape. And here's the reason why, because you have higher levels of organic matter in most of your ground. So let's see, I was just going to look at the average on this field. It's 6.2% organic matter. So a lot of times we're going to figure you're going to get two to three pounds of sulfur out of every 1% of organic matter through the course of the season. So that's 12 to 18 pounds of free sulfur out of the soil. So that's awesome. And so I'm just saying, you don't have to add as much as a normal farmer would because you've got such high organic matter levels. Yeah. Go, going back to the uh, to the need, needing some lime in, in obviously in areas of the field, would it be all right if we use a dolomitic lime with some magnesium in it, or should we haul a little farther and get uh, yep. excellent. non-dolomitic or just reg- regular lime? Yep, yep. excellent question. Um, in most of those spots that are low in pH, your magnesium is about perfect right now. So, I, I mean, could you add dolomitic? Possibly. Um I, I I could go either way on that. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to keep my rate low. Um, otherwise, I would go with calcitic. Um, hey, George, if you want to hang on for just a minute, we got to wrap up the show here, but I'll uh, just hang on with us, and then uh, we'll see if you have any other quick questions for us. Thanks for listening to today's Ag PhD Radio Show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.